this summer. Your local movie theater will become a tent revival for proclaiming Jesus. And you're invited to be a part of this unique evangelistic campaign. Join with believers nationwide for the Million Souls campaign to bring unsaved family and friends to watch the powerful new movie, The Firing Squad, starring Kevin Sorbo and Cuba Gooding Jr. The Firing Squad tells the incredible true story about prisoners who find faith in the face of execution and transform their prison in the process. As the movie ends, co-star Kevin Sorbo comes on the screen to lead the entire theater in a prayer to commit one's life to Jesus Christ, providing an on-site opportunity to introduce family and friends to the message of Jesus. Go to FiringSquadFilm.com and learn how you can receive free tickets and more to the Firing Squad and participate in this unique theater event. Bring your friends and your family and bring your faith. That's FiringSquadFilm.com to learn more. I'm going to see uh, Top Gun uh, today. And I'm kind of, it's kind of like, you know, hey, God, stop, stop spending so much time on Tom Cruise, okay? Spread that stuff around a little bit. Yeah. He's like the coolest guy alive. Yeah. You know, he's gone through his ups and downs. Yeah, I mean, he might be a monster, but <laughs> I, uh, I don't see it. <laughs> well, and, and we know that, for example, Tom Brady is a monster um, because of his... Wait. He's a horrible <laughs> human being for his... He's another one. Yeah, he, he's Can another one. slow down? <laughs> Brains, yeah. good looks, talent. Yeah, he's got all the good things in happen in his life, and he's taking away the good things that could happen in, in, in your life. Exactly yeah, right. He's appropriating our positivity. Exactly right. It's exactly right. This is there are fewer the exactly supermodels that would date me because <laughs> he's taking them all. It's unfair. All right. Anyway, here's uh, today's podcast. It's really good. Mike Lee is with us. Uh, Kellyanne Conway. I mean, she dishes the the dirt. <laughs> uh, and it's not really dirt. I mean, she's just very, very frank about what happened. I still don't know what the current status of the relationship with her husband is, though. I, after, even I, after you talked about it with her extensively, I still don't I know, know I, they're still what's happening. married, but I'm not really. <laughs> anyway, it's a, it's a great podcast today. Don't miss a second. Here it is. You're listening to... The best of the Glenn Beck program. I want to be very, very careful um, because I don't want to have to apologize for anything. Um, And that's what we all should be thinking. Let's not say things that we don't know to be true or take positions on things we're not sure. We do not have all of the facts. And I'm not going to throw the police. Uh, Under the bus, I am going to question the uh, federal uh, marshals that were there. Where the hell were you? What were you doing? I am going to question them. I think we have enough information there. You're wearing tactical gear. Why the hell isn't your ass inside? But the police, I don't know. And it's not looking good for them. But let's not uh, take sides on things and do what the left does before we know the truth yeah the only thing again you try to construct any reason why they would do some of these things it's very difficult to understand i mean the only thing that i keep coming back to is the difference between let's say an active shooter situation and an inactive shooter situation if you you know you think about every hostage movie you've ever seen, right, right? Where a person maybe he's not actively shooting, he's holding them hostage, or maybe he's 
you know, this but you is would horrible. hear that they would have said, right. He it, was holding them hostage. We had contact right. with him. We were negotiating, et cetera, et cetera. Right. The, the, the right move might be in a situation where he's holding him hostage, for example, not to bust in because he might kill more people. Right. right. The other thought is, you know, as dark as this is to think about, potentially he had already done the killing in this room and was barricaded in this room. Right. And therefore, the thought from the police officers may have been, hey, let's evacuate all the other kids, get everybody else out of the rest Wouldn't of the school. Wouldn't have taken an hour. If you had yeah. him, if you thought that mm-hmm. he was barricaded and killed everybody in that classroom, mm-hmm. okay, which he did except for two, right? We do know, yeah, that we do there know that that children. was not accurate, at least, because right. it, there is a story, and it's the worst story you're ever going to hear. I don't want to hear it at all, but just give me the details. Quickly, uh, it seems like the agent said, hey, if you need help, uh, you know, let us know. And one of the kids who was hiding said, I need help. He heard them, came over and killed the kid. This is from another child oh who was gosh. in the room who witnessed the incident. Okay. All so right. again, so. like it's as dark as it can possibly be, but you can see, you can construct a scenario where they believe the most, the, the, the smartest thing to do because there wasn't ongoing active shooting going on was to try to protect everyone okay. else. So, but I mean, uh, I, that does, let's, let's just, it's, it, let me ask you this. You don't know. Uh, did this classroom have windows? If so, did anybody have eyes on the shooter or the classroom from the outside? If not, why? Second, he was locked in. Okay, is locked in. There's no shots being fired. Why wasn't at least one police officer positioned at the door? So if that door opened up, you shot the guy in the head. Okay. And then why did it take you an hour to get everybody out? If you know you guy, you have him locked in a room, why not go to every classroom and say, out, now, now, go, 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 go. Get everybody out. It doesn't take you an hour to do that. So something just doesn't look right on this, and it's most likely unbelievable incompetence. But I can't, you know what, I just... I can't take the lies anymore. I, I, I can't take the not trusting anyone anymore. Let me give you this. AOC. She came out with a statement yesterday. Young women are not doing this. Young non-binary people are not doing this. Trans people are not doing this. This is the issue we have. Young men are being radicalized right now. Really? Who's radicalizing them? Who is radicalizing them? I'm not the one that is turning every student in America into a protester. That would be you and the teachers unions. By the way, you also should check your facts. Yesterday, Colorado teenager pleaded guilty to multiple charges of murder. In the 2019 school shooting outside of Denver that left one student dead, eight injured. Alec McKinney, who was born biologically a female but identifies as a male, pleaded guilty to 16 counts, including first degree murder and attempted murder and conspiracy to commit first degree murder after deliberation. Please give it a rest, AOC. Now, the same people who are outraged by this in the Democratic Party, 
Congressional Democrats. The Republicans and the Democrats. Yeah, uh, well, they were the same people that pushed a bill that would have banned federal funding for school police in 2020. You don't want to arm the teachers because the majority of Americans now say we should arm the the teachers. Yeah, 54% either strongly or somewhat support the arming of teachers and staff to respond to a school shooting. Only 35% somewhat are strongly opposed. So don't tell me about our extremist out of step. Most people want guns taken away when actually that's not true. Common sense would be put police there. Lock all the doors. Arm the teachers. But you know who's against that? Oh, my gosh. You know, here and this is why. This is why, you know, all the Democrats can be counted on uh, not going for this solution, putting guns in schools, even though the majority of people agree with it. You know why? Because the teachers unions. Yeah, the teachers unions, they don't think it should be done. They're against it. In fact, they're not just against it, they're hostile. Our public schools should be the safest places for students and educators, yet the gunshots from a lone shooter armed with a military-grade weapon shattered the physical safety of the school community in Uvalde, Texas. You know what also is a military-grade weapon at the time? A flintlock. And then later, it was a cap and ball. And then later, it was the M16. All guns at the time are military grade. Why do you need that? It's a weapon of war. So was the flintlock. And by the way, no matter how they try to change the history of the uh, AR, um, it, it was a hunting rifle first. Oh, our deer have a vessel. Time magazine has released an op-ed. Sometimes calls for America to return to God are couched in the language of consolation, especially after mass shootings. When 19 children uh, were killed in a school in Uvalde, Texas, Tuesday, a Republican from Colorado tweeted, it's times like these that we should, as individuals, communities, and a nation, turn to God for comfort and healing. Please, please, America, we are running out of time. Please turn back to God and beg for him to heal our land. Marjorie Taylor Greene of Georgia followed deflection. Our nation needs to take a serious look at the state of our mental health today. Don't you think we do? Don't you think we do? Because today... I could claim I'm a woman, do nothing else, just sit here with all the junk in my pants, but I'm wearing panties, and I could come on and say, hey, everybody, I identify as a woman. And if you make fun of me or even question me, you're the hater. You're the crazy one. No, I don't think so. I don't think so. No. 
Mm-mm. I think we should look at our mental health today. There's a reason we always hear calls for Christian nationalism rather than for common sense gun legislation from the right. As we've shown in our research, guns are practically an element of worship in the church of white Christian nationalism. White Christian nationalism? You know who knows about gun rights better than anybody else? The Native American. Because what happens when the government took the Native American guns away? Oh, they took their land and destroyed them. That's right. Why is it that Martin Luther King couldn't get a, a carry permit to carry a gun? Why is it? Because the local sheriff said, you don't need that boy. We're here to protect you. Really? They did a bang up job. Why is it the Klan made sure that no blacks could have any guns? That way they could terrorize them at night. Don't talk to me about how it's a white Christian nationalist idea. It is a nationalist idea, I guess, because we're the only nation that has a Second Amendment because it wasn't written for sports. It was written for a government that was out of control. You know, let me define out of control. One that is canceling everything to do with uh, carbon-based fuel because the government is in charge of everything now. A government that has just decided to spend us into oblivion. To bail out all of the big guys, make special favors for all the people who have big money. You know, the government where you go to jail for something. But if somebody in the know, somebody that's popular, somebody that, God forbid, would do exactly the same thing or far worse in Washington. They're never held to to account. But you'd go to jail. A government that tells its own citizens, close down your business and you have no choice or you're going to jail. A government that says you're going to wear masks after the government says masks don't make any difference. I think that's a government out of control. And if that doesn't meet your bar, all the things that are going on, If this doesn't meet your bar, just wait until they take your guns away. No, that's not Christian or nationalism. That is common sense gun regulation. You're listening to the best of the Glenn Beck program. This is the Glenn Beck program. We have Kellyanne Conway coming up in just about a half hour. We have in studio with us now, Senator Mike Lee. Hello, Mike. Good to be with you. Uh, Mike has put a new book out. Uh, We'll talk about it uh, a little bit next week. Saving Nine. It's all about the Supreme Court and what they are trying to do to the Supreme Court and why it's so important that they don't win. Um, 
let's talk about the Supreme Court. And I want to talk to you through guns. Um, right now, we have Biden saying, you know, the Second Amendment's not an absolute. You couldn't have a cannon when this was written. I think you could, Mike. I think you could own a cannon. Um, and you can't have, you know, uh, you can't have weapons of war. That's what a flintlock was at the time. Is it absolute or not? It's absolute with regard to weapons commonly held by law-abiding citizens for lawful purposes. So, yeah, that extends to guns. It extends to uh, most guns. It extends to most knives, all knives, as far as I'm aware. You have the right to bear arms. This goes back, I mean, nearly 500 years. Uh, This was a a deeply honored tradition and uh, something protected under the Mm -hmm. English Bill of Rights long before we became a country. So, but wait a minute. So you said you have a right to own a weapon that is legally allowed to be held. Well, then, so could Congress just pass laws that just say, and that would be constitutional? They could say, you know what? Uh, only, uh, Only six shooters are allowed. And I mean, you know, revolvers. Well, no, because we have a a long history and tradition of allowing people to have guns and commonly held by law-abiding persons for lawful purposes, peaceful purposes. So if there is an established tradition for that weapon, then you've got a Second Amendment right to it. That doesn't mean that we can't keep it away from people who are convicted felons or who have been convicted of a misdemeanor offense of domestic violence or are addicted to drugs uh, or have some other mental health. Uh, yes. Who have been adjudicated incompetent by a court of competent jurisdiction. So you have, uh, first of all, California, uh, just the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals just uh, said that their under 21 gun restriction is unconstitutional. And I don't know how we can ask somebody who is 18 to go fight a war for us with a gun and a lot of dangerous things and lay down their life as a citizen for this country. And then when they come home, if they come home, you know, before they're 21, they don't have full rights of that citizenship. By the way, what do they lay down their life for their country holding their weapon of choice right. is a gun. So they can be trusted in that context, but not elsewhere. It's 16. They're allowed to drive. A car is also a dangerous weapon. It can be used, has been used uh, for that. And so, yeah, that seems like an arbitrary distinction. Um, So um, Biden uh, has uh, come out and um, has said that he wants something has got to be done. That is really dangerous. McConnell has directed John Cornyn. To engage with the Democrats on a bipartisan solution on gun violence, I have no respect left for John Cornyn. Even though he is from Texas, he is no friend of liberty. Um, what what is that all about? It's it's hard to say. I I don't know that we've heard from uh, John Cornyn or from Mitch McConnell what exactly, if anything, they want in, enacted. But I'll I'll tell you this. I'll tell you my approach to it. I do think there is some danger in approaching a national emergency and responding to it by saying, we need another law. We need another law right now. Every time government expands, every time it it extends its reach by passing a new law, it undermines liberty in one way or another. It doesn't mean it's always a bad thing, but it it is a bad thing typically to legislate under intense emotion 
in the immediate aftermath of an emergency, yeah. a crisis. That's where bad law happens. So, so Mike, what is coming our way? The, the, do, do you think the Supreme Court knows who the leaker was? Yes, I do. I, I believe the Supreme Court almost certainly has figured it out by now. I believe the Supreme Court probably figured out within right a couple of days who the yeah, leaker was. And I suspect, don't know this, but I suspect what they're doing is they're wanting to wait until the end of the term, until after the Dobbs ruling has been announced before airing to the world who it was, because that might uh, just add to the confusion, the discussion around it. And it but might you also think somebody will pay for that. Yeah, I, I, I do. I do. I, I, I think they know who it was. And I do think that that person will have consequences if, as I suspect, it was a law clerk. I think that law clerk likely will never practice law. Uh, that's not okay to leak confidential information, not your own, uh, uh, to the world. And this was very, very sensitive information. I hope somebody pays for it because that's another problem we have in America right now. People don't trust the system. They, and there's, no re there's really not a lot of reasons to trust it. Nobody seems to pay for crimes. And that's the sad part about this is that in that case, this was uh, one system that still has been trusted. Yes. The Supreme Court of the United States. Look, warts and all, they, they, they issue plenty of rulings that I disagree with that I don't like. Our federal court system is the best of its kind in the world. And we benefit from it tremendously as Americans because of it. When you leak an opinion before it's out, trying to impact the outcome of that particular dispute yeah. you undermine the credibility of the court that's what the left's trying to do so did they um do you think this changed or hardened the stance of this leak hardened the stance of those that were for uh you know this the the, the leaked opinion i hope and, and i fundamentally believe that it will harden the stance of those who had already yeah. decided preliminarily to cast their votes with Justice Alito's masterfully written opinion. I think so, too. It was beautiful. It was brilliant. Anyone on either side of this issue uh, uh, should read that opinion because it is fantastic. Yeah. So now we have, let me go back again, because I'm looking at what's coming. I'm building this to the nine justices um, that they're going to want to pack the court. We have a couple of cases that are just as strong as Roe versus Wade in their area, do we not? We have one on gun rights. We do indeed. At New York State Rifle and Pistol Association versus Brune, a case in which I submitted an amicus brief, a friend of the court brief, very significant issues related to the Second which Amendment. Which means what the argument is, New York, and I know it because I couldn't get a gun in New York, and I had 15 active threats on my life the entire time I was in New York. Um, you have to prove that you have a need to carry a gun. An exceptional need. Yes. You have to prove that you are different, differently situated than most citizens mm -hmm. and that you have this heightened need to it. What they're doing is taking a generally applicable right that the founding fathers gave us and said, okay, this obviously can't be for everyone. It can't even be for most people. And in fact, we're going to make it only available under exceptional circumstances. It's rather the opposite of a right. Right, right. So we have that coming out. Anything else that's real controversial that you think they will 
There are some administrative law decisions coming up that I hope, I suspect, could end up having some bearing on the ability of the executive branch agencies, unelected, unaccountable bureaucrats to make law. Okay, but the real, the gun one and abortion will, could ignite the streets um, and then also start a push for packing the court. Yes, that's what they do. And uh, Glenn, that's why I wrote uh, my book, Saving Nine, which is available on pre-order now. You can buy it on Amazon now, Saving Nine. I started writing this over a year ago, because I predicted this very thing happening. I started thinking, I realized, my gosh, we could end up in a situation by the summer of 2022 where Roe gets overturned. And in response to that, the left will try to demonize and delegitimize the court and, and isolate those who have voted for it. And they're going to go back to their tried and true playbook of 1937, where they tried to pack the court. So I explained in Saving Nine how it is that this backfires This backfires on the best judicial system in the world. Why it is that in 1937, the last time the Democrats tried this, it left a lasting mark, a mark that has caused all sorts of problems in our government ever since then. The threat of court packing, even though it didn't succeed there, influenced the court. It harassed and intimidated the the court to the point that the court deferred blindly to FDR and changed the law. So FDR did this, but the Democrats, generally speaking, were against it. It was the Democrats that were fighting along with the Republicans fighting FDR on this. You don't have that situation now. You don't have that situation now. And in fact, the very same Democrats who have for decades decried court packing, they're ashamed that their party did this, are now changing course. They're now back on board. Look, Joe Biden, when he was in the Senate, called it a boneheaded idea. It was a boneheaded idea when FDR did it, and it would be a boneheaded idea now. Right. His words, not mine. Ruth Bader Ginsburg, just a couple years ago before she died, uh, uh, said essentially the same thing. Democrat after Democrat had said this. But now they're ignoring all that. Now they're saying, but we have to do it. And that's because, the, de- in my opinion, the Democrats are not Democrats. They're more Marxist revolutionaries. Because this is, once you lose this... You're done as a nation, are you not? Well, yeah, you're, you're done at least as a nation that lives under the rule of law. Because in order for the rule of law to work, in order for a Republican form of government to work in a constitutional republic like ours, you do have to have a neutral, independent arbiter of what the law means when people disagree as to the law's meaning. You lose that if you pack the court because the court then becomes a political football. It stops resembling a court and starts to resemble the intergalactic Senate in Star Wars with right. so many people it can't be managed. <laughs> right. Um, one last thing I want to talk to you about, the Durham case. I, I just talked to Bill Barr, and um, he told some fascinating behind-the-scenes so, uh, stuff. That That's a podcast that's out today. Um, and I was really actually angry with him. That You know, like, wh- where was this? And he had really good explanations uh, for all of it. He said that he knew that Durham would continue, but we're looking at now the it, I mean, it, it looks like it's tying right directly to Hillary Clinton. I mean, it looks bad for Sussman and, and the Clinton campaign. However, the jury is from Washington, D.C. There are two donors to Hillary Clinton's campaign. Uh, I mean, it's it's a very tainted jury. Is there anything that I mean? If the facts are there and the jury dismisses it, it's over, right? Yes. 
That is a central feature of our system. Correct. When a crime is prosecuted, you've got a jury, and the jury makes a decision. The jury's decision is unreviewable. So then, if they don't pay, again, if nobody pays for this, what? What do yeah. we, how do we, okay. how do we retrieve? Yeah, that's a good question. So it's true. The jury's decision in that case is unreviewable. That's, those are protections we offer for the individuals. Yes, accused. and it should be. And I agree with double jeopardy shouldn't happen. But when you get a jury that decides not to convict for whatever reason, that doesn't mean the facts go away. It doesn't mean the evidence isn't there. It doesn't mean the American people can't, won't be, and shouldn't be informed by the evidence presented to the jury. We still will have that. The best of the Glenn Beck program. Well, it is a pleasure to welcome on the program the author of Here's the Deal and former Trump campaign manager, former senior counselor to President Trump, Kellyanne Conway. Hello, Kellyanne. How are you? I'm wonderful, Glenn Beck, and thank you for having me today. <laughs> you bet. Good to you hear bet. your voice in person. Yeah, thank you. Um, so I, ha- I have to start because this is the, I mean, I'm sorry, but this is the thing that I've always wondered. You and your husband, are you like uh, James Carville and, and Mary Matlin? No, we're not. And I know, I'm glad you asked that question because other people just write it and they presume it. That's not what this is. Um, he was never a Democrat working against my Republican presidential candidate. That would be James Carville, who helped make Bill Clinton's career, Mary Madeline, very smart Republican strategist who worked for the Bushes and others. In this case, uh, George and I both were of a single mind that Donald Trump had to beat Hillary Clinton and become president of the United States. George was incredibly supportive, even helpful, coming to the campaign many nights after leaving his own job a few blocks away from Trump Tower. And I write in the book, this new book, Here's the Deal, when great beach read, great Father's Day gift, get on it, folks. I write there very explicitly that people say, without Kellyanne Conway, Donald Trump would not have been elected in 2016. That's debatable. But what will never be in doubt is that without George Conway, Kellyanne Conway could not have been the campaign manager in those closing months of 2016 to the extent I was. He encouraged, if not insisted me, to take my shot. He was the, George was the only person I told in the hours after President Mr. Trump offered me the campaign management job, and he said, Kellyanne, you're doing this. He can actually win with you, and I'll help out more at home, and he did. And so people just need to know the facts. And George and I had something else in common, and not just as parents of these four wonderful children, Glenn Beck, but we had in common that we both accepted big jobs in the Trump administration. Everyone knows my job. They saw me out there uh, again and again. But George had accepted a position, a nomination as the head of the civil division of the U.S. Department of Justice. That's a big job. Mm. And he you know, did that. Now, he changed his mind about Donald Trump. This is America. We can all do that, Glenn Beck. You can change your mind about Donald Trump, about politics, about what you're having for dinner, whatever it is. But to do it in such a public way was so not George and was so not helpful um, to his wife. And, and to so our family. What, why did he feel it was necessary? You say it wasn't like him. What, can you get into that? Why did he feel it was so necessary? Oh, I think people who 
change their mind about Donald Trump and people who are already congenitally afflicted with Trump derangement syndrome, for which yeah. there are no therapeutics and no vaccine. <laughs> they, they feel, <laughs> look around. There certainly isn't. They feel duty bound to express that publicly because they find an immediate and equally vociferous hungry audience in so doing. But as I put in my book, you know, I miss the privately brilliant George Conway, not the publicly bombastic, yeah. bombastic one that he had become. And uh, listen, George is a very smart person. He graduated Harvard at 20, graduated Yale Law School at 23, made partner at um, the premier law firm in New York City at 30, unheard of in these days after five years only, unheard of. And, and he's, we've been married for many decades. We have four children together. What, what, what this all comes down to is I don't understand what was happening. And the reason I call it cheating by tweeting is because of how he was spending his time. So if you have a side piece, if you have a gumas, the Italians in my family, the Italian men in my family did uh, growing up. If you had a, you know, you have a mistress, you're spending time with that person, thinking about her and meeting with her and being with her and planning that and pretending you weren't with her. And I just felt this was very similar in that this, this consumed an awful lot of his time and his attention. And you saw what happened. George Conway became a folk hero, but actually Kellyanne Conway's husband did. I put in the book quantitatively Mm -hmm. that he was referred to as Kellyanne Conway's husband routinely, which tells you all you need to know about what their real motive was particularly in those beginning months, if not year, which was to try to stick it to me, to try to put division between Donald Trump and me, to try to get me to quit my job. I was good at my job, and I loved my job. I loved my public service job, and I was darn good at it, and I was very focused on it. And I think the media, who never knew whose job, you know what, the job of the media, Glenn, is, in my view, to get the story. But they took it upon themselves to get the president and those around him, his family members, his senior staffers, and their families. And they couldn't get enough of Kellyanne Conway's husband. Um, I I have to ask just one quick follow-up question, because you write in the book that Ivanka came to you and gave you, I think, two names of marriage counselors. And you guys went. You guys are married, and are things better now, or...? We did not go. I put in the book that we oh, never you did went. not go. I thought you go. had I two names. I thought she gave you two did, names, and he, he said yes to one. That's right. He said no to one, and then he sort of shrugged at the other, and we never went. And oh. I, the way I look at it is that that I wouldn't be so public about something so private, except yeah. it's important to know that I take my marriage vows very seriously. I've always been yeah. faithful to them, and when I said forever, I meant it. And um, and it was very nice of Ivanka Trump, who and I put in the book. Glenn, that, you know, I, I, I was talking to her about something else. Our offices were right next to each other in the West Wing uh, on the second floor. I called the Cool Kids Wing, White House Counsel's Office, me, Johnny DiStefano, and Dina Powell, uh, Ivanka, and then Larry Kudlow across from us. And I, and I, she was very, you know, Ivanka's a very nice person. She's very gracious, very kind. And she gave it to me on a post-it because she knew I was open to receiving it. And she said, listen, I've got lots of Democrats in my family. I know how this goes. And these, they're making things harder for all of us. And it was very nice of her. But we never went. And I, the, the reason I talk about it is I think that um, if George wanted to do that, he would have done that because that's the way he's, we see the way he spent his time. He did exactly what he wanted to do. So I want to make very clear right now, as I make clear in the book, because I know it gets manipulated, is that George does not owe loyalty and fealty to Donald Trump or to the president of the United States, or to a political party, or to this or that. The vows were to me. So if he wants to change his mind, he can do that. This is America. But changing his mind about me and that job after we moved our family there together, put the kids in new schools, accepted jobs, and even when he took his name out of contention, uh, yes, out of, out of contention for the civil division chief right. of the U.S. Department of Justice, Glenn, he 
put out a statement, not on Twitter because he wasn't a much of a tweeter then, um, put out a statement saying, Mr. President, thank you for this wonderful opportunity. And of course, I still support your administration and the work of my wonderful wife. A couple days later, he sent out his first tweet. I put in the book that Sean Spicer, then the press secretary, is coming toward me in the East Room. And he said, did you know about this? And he's showing me a tweet that apparently came from George Conway. I have an entire chapter in my new book, Here's the Deal, Glenn, that says, but George doesn't tweet. And that's exactly what I said. I said, that can't be true, that he doesn't tweet, that's a fake account, or it was wow. hacked. And, then, and we all know the rest is history. Yeah. Okay, so, um, you know, you, you mentioned that uh, Ivanka was very uh, gracious to you. Uh, and that's the one thing that I don't think, you, that never comes out about the president as well. His children are very, very gracious. Um, but he is incredibly gracious and um, warm in person it's like he's like a different person um when he's not on you know when he's not on stage is do i have that read right of him you have it absolutely right and i know that you've had contact with him so you know this to be true you've had conversations with him in person more than a few uh glenn it is absolutely true and if donald trump was not a good boss let alone a good boss to women or a good boss to working mothers of which there were many in the white house uh, I wouldn't have worked there. Why would I do that? He was a great boss, and he's very warm. And I think Donald Trump will never get full credit for something he's never asked credit for, which is how many times he trans- positively transformed people's lives by picking up the phone, by making a call, by making his private jet available back in the day, by but just connecting people need with yeah. opportunity. Yeah. And and he never really, you know, he doesn't brag about that any more than the people who would run around in the comms department saying, I think you should, you know, go do an off-the-record ice cream stop with your nine grandchildren. And he would say, well, why would I do that? I enjoy them in private. In other words, he he's very authentic that way, and he's very warm and gracious. And even Hillary Clinton, I write in the book, Hillary Clinton acknowledged as much in a debate. In one of the debates in 2016, Glenn, each of them, Trump and Hillary, were asked about the other. Say something nice about the other. Compliment the other. And uh, her compliment of him was, I don't agree with Donald on most things. We disagree on everything. But he has raised uh, really great kids, adult kids. Yeah, that's true. And, and then look what happened. Um, they went after them and still yeah. do. But, but it absolutely is true. And look, it's a measure. If we can all be remembered at, for our kids... I think that's wonderful. I, I said when, you know, when my daughter, Claudia, she was only 12, was didn't want to move to Washington. And of the four, you know, I say as a pollster, if you get 75% agreement on something, you're really winning. But as a mom, you basically need to get close to 100% agreement. So I needed all four kids on board. And she was really the holdout. And I really feel for her. And she's a great, great kid now, almost a woman. Claudia, you know, somebody in the Washington Post was doing a profile. I and mean, they said, well, we saw Claudia Conway's on there with a change.org petition, stop the Conway kids from moving to D.C. What's that about? I said, well, at least she's honest. I said, the rest of, a con- the rest of this country often pretends I'm a revolutionary. I'm a change maker. I'm going to do this. And they go to McDonald's every night in order number three in the van. <laughs> I said, but, you know, at least she admits that she, she, at least she admits she wants things to stay the same and not move. And they said, well, what do you say to her? I said, I told, she said, mom, I don't want to go to D.C. and be known as Kellyanne Conway's daughter. And I said, guess what? You cure cancer. And I'll be known as Claudia Conway's mother. Mm. Deal. And that's very true. And for Donald Trump, you know, he raised great kids. We're all trying to raise great kids. It's the yeah. most, it's a one, most wonderful contribution you can make to society. It is. I, I mean, I, and I know, I mean, that, that's the one thing I knew the whole time was that his kids loved him. Uh, and at the end, I'm not sure my kids would have walked through that wall of fire. Uh, I mean, they, they never abandoned him at least publicly 
and they, I, I doubt that they agree on everything. Um, but maybe that's just me, and I'm not asking for inf- inside information. We're talking to Kellyanne Conway. Um, she has a, uh, a brand new book that is out now. We're going to spend some more time with her here in just a second. If you want to pick up the uh, uh, the book, it's called "Here's the Deal" by Kellyanne Conway. It is uh, out now wherever wherever you order your books or get your books from. Da, da, da. 